Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is a current BYU student, return missionary, my friend Jake Young. Welcome to the podcast, Jake. Thank you so much. <laughs> Jake and I have been visiting for about an hour and a half before recording, and he's brought me to tears a couple times as I've sensed his good soul, his love of the gospel his love of all of Heavenly Father's children and the unique life mission he has. Um, Jake offered a prayer before we started, and we just pray this podcast to be helpful to our listeners to find common ground. Um, by way of background, Jake grew up in Arizona, um, family of six children. You're the second from the oldest. Mm -hmm. Served a mission in Edmonton, Canada. How long have you been home, Jake? Um, just over a year. Yeah. Um, my parents were mission presidents in Calgary when Edmonton and Calgary were part of the same mission. We'd go up to visit them. We'd look at the big mission map, and there was this place way at the top of the map um, called Yellowknife around Great Slave Lake. And I just always my life that place is stuck in my brain as someplace I'd like to go visit. Tell us where you served for six months. I served there in Yellowknife for six months. <laughs> Tell us um, what the church is like in Yellowknife. How many members? We have a, a, a very small branch. Um, I would say 12 to 15 active members total. It includes kids and everything. And were you there? I'm a weather guy, Jake. Were you there during the winter or the summer? I was there from June to December, so I got both. I got the 24-hour sunlight and the 24-hour darkness. It was cold. How cold did it get in December? <laughs> Uh, the coldest day I was there was negative 44 with wind chills in the negative 70s. Holy, so, how hot how, how warm was it in June? I, it, Celsius is a little tricky because it no. wasn't Celsius, but I would say it was like 65 to 75 most days. So pretty nice. And that sun just got low on the horizon, but never disappeared. No, it's totally true. They have midnight golf tournaments there. It's a real thing. What a fascinating place of the world to be in. Um, Jake has been home from his mission. I think I mentioned he's at BYU. He's studying entrepreneurship. Jake is a Gen Z guy. So that's for those of you that are following all those. I'm a baby boomer, I think. And about five more down the, down the whatever we're calling it <laughs> is our Gen Zs, which comes after millennials that we talk a little bit about. But Jake's in this situation where a lot of Gen Z and a lot of millennial Latter-day Saints are deeply committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ that have things in our church they deeply believe in and keep them in the church, but things that they're very concerned about that perhaps they don't believe in. And so it causes a lot of dissidence. And I've learned to, I have some of those same things myself, and I've learned to sit with people and sort of listen to these stories. And Jake's going to just share a little bit about this for you, our listeners. And our purpose in doing this is to just create more understanding for people that are walking the same road Jake is, so we know why they're walking this road and what we can do to help them and sort of validate how they, why they feel the way they feel. Jake isn't trying to pull everybody to his way of thinking, but this is just through deep personal revelation, study of the scriptures where Jake, um, his worldview of several issues that he's willing to share. And I just think this is the vulnerable podcast. So Jake is going to be pretty authentic. He's pretty vulnerable and just willing to share some of this. And our hope is just that you feel the spirit of Jake. I have felt it for the last hour and a half. And this is a really good man that's deeply spiritual and very, very thoughtful. It comes from a wonderful family. Is that okay for an introduction, Jake? Yeah, wonderful. Yep. Um, so talk about um, 
I'd like to have you talk about your mission. Um, tell us if you really fit in or didn't fit in. <laughs> well, I think the introduction may already say the answer to that, but I will answer once again. I think I didn't. I, I didn't really fit in on my mission, to be honest. It was a interesting time. And why? Um, because on paper you'd fit in. Yeah, I one hundred percent. I think the reason why I didn't really fit in is because I have always been a certain way. I've always, I mean, my whole life I've been what you will, if you listen to this, what I will explain throughout the whole podcast is this is, this is me. I've been this the same way. Um, and before my mission, um, I wasn't very spiritual, spiritually oriented. I always didn't really, I didn't really know where I stood with anything like this. And I mean, I didn't even read the book Warren before a mission, which is shocking to many probably, but I just, I wanted to go on my mission only to, I want to go there for service only. I wanted to go there to help people only. I didn't really want to go there to spread the gospel. And so while I got there, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into um, until I, you know, went and realized that it was a lot less service oriented and a lot more gospel oriented. So that just made it much, much more of a place where I really didn't fit quite in. So. And I like that you understood that about yourself. Um, talk about. Um, I didn't mention this. You're straight, I think. Yes. <laughs> um, I usually don't declare people's sexual orientations, but we do so many podcasts with LGBTQ. It's probably important people know that Jake's story is not being part of that community, but connected to that community, like many your age are at, um, in our church. They're just aware of marginalized groups of people and feel a responsibility to help them as they walk a difficult road. Um, are you okay with just... Oh yeah, for sure. All this that. is great. Yes. Yes. Let's just, we could talk about your mission. Um, but I want to just go to these, you know, as Jake and I were visiting beforehand, we kind of went through this list of things that cause him to deeply believe in our church and a list of things that are very difficult for him. And I recognize there's a lot of people walking the same road Jake is walking. And I think it's good to hear his story. Or if you're a leader or a parent wanting to sort of understand why people are walking this road. I think Jake will help you understand that. We can sort of just honor people. So do you want to start with the list of things that are difficult for you or the things that keep you believing in the church? Um, I'll, I'll go, let's go with the belief first. Okay. Um, and so I think, like I said earlier when I was talking um, with Billy Osler about all this, I mentioned the biggest thing that I believe in is the plan of salvation. And it's something that I really can never, I mean, I, I would, I can never not believe in that. Um, I'm just a very universalistic person. I, I love people. I'm a very people-based person. And the knowledge that all my brothers and sisters have a chance um, is beautiful. And um, I love that. I love to know, I love the knowledge that, and when I have studied it deeper to realize that it really is you um, who, who kind of chooses where you need to be because during Christ's suffering and the atonement and that whole entire process, um, Christ felt us, that's this, and he felt us. And so when we are in that judgment seat area, it will be in this, it will be this place where if I feel comfortable, um, with where I am, that's where God wants me to be. And he's not going to put me somewhere I will, where I will not be comfortable um, because he loves me and he loves us all so much. And I think that is such a fundamental part of why I believe in that so much. 
And just that sense that all of our brothers and sisters should be viewed just as high as people that are in the church because they all, we all have the same potential to me is beautiful. And I can never deny that. Talk about the word universal. What does that mean? So universalistic, I like it that universal, whatever. I don't even know. Universalistic. That's great. So that's kind of what I use because I think I love, I believe that the gospel of Christ is this way where universalistic. What I mean by that is it's everyone. It involves everyone. It involves our, our Islamic friends, it involves our Jewish friends, it involves our other sects of Christianity and our other, you know, Buddhists. We can name so many, and I've met so many great people in those, in those religions. And um, the plan of solution is for everyone. It's not prescribed to someone who is a believer in the Bible. It's not prescribed to someone. It's for everyone. It's for God's children. It is, that is what it's for. And so that's what I mean by universalistic. Talk about our plan of salvation compared to a different Christian religion's plan mm-hmm. of salvation. Yeah, it's actually and interesting. What's, yeah. what's unique about LDS plan of salvation? For sure. I think I was actually just down south. I was in Alabama. Um, and I think it's, it's kind of fascinating that I was coming on this podcast to talk about some of these things. And, um, you know, um, he, the, the pastor who I listened to, he was talking about people that were of the flesh and who were not of the flesh. And the people that are of the flesh were the Christians, not of the flesh. People that were, were of the spirit were Christians. And the people that were of the fresh flesh were not Christians. And how, no matter how great the people that were, that were of the flesh are, they will never be of the spirit until they become a Christian. Um, and that has never sat well with me. The fact that people, my, my brothers and sisters, maybe in Asia who don't really, obviously Christ, and I'm mean, not saying all of Asia, but just saying in this, and maybe in a general specific area where the Christ isn't the center of a community or a belief system or a country, that the, the thought that they will go to hell is just, it doesn't rest well with me. And that, and that is the, I mean, what I've learned a lot from my other Christian friends, that's kind of the, you know, the, the doctrine. Um, and I just can't, I can't sit well with that. That, that to me just, just will never sit well. And so that's, I mean, that's just the view of our, our faith, our faith view of that compared to other Talk Christians. about our faith view of that. Um, our faith view, I mean, at least what I believe in and what I've studied a lot in, our faith view of that is the sense that, um, you know, <laughs> plan of is interesting because my, like I said, very universalistic. And I just, I mean, we'll go over some things um, a little later in this podcast, but I think, um, I, I just believe that. You know, the, the world isn't, it's, we're 99.98% of the world is not a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or whatever, Mormon, whatever specific field you want to call it. Um, and I've just realized that, you know, God has a bigger plan than we may realize. His plan of salvation is ever reaching. It's a lot broader and a lot, it's just more complicated than we think. It's not as simple as we know. And we need to be very loving and inspiring to those people because they, I mean, they're part of it. God didn't just send, that God didn't want everyone in this world just to be Mormon. So, um, I like that. And we did a podcast with a U of U Institute teacher, Jared Halverson, and he created a visual that was fascinating for me. That our plan of salvation umbrella in the LDS church is sort of big enough to cover all these other religions. And in the sense, we have a, way in our doctrine there to show how they get back to God. Mm-hmm. But their sort of plan of salvation's umbrellas that are over their faith has a way f- 
to explain how they'll get back to God, but not really how others. And to your point, they don't see them getting back to God Mm -hmm. based on that sermon you heard in Alabama, I think. And so (laughs) I'm with you on that. I think there's unique aspects of our plan of salvation that, um, that create a way that I personally believe in that God wants all of his children back, Jake. Mm-hmm. And he wants to, even though you're right, a small percent are Latter-day Saints right now. I think in our doctrine, that umbrella creates a way for everybody to potentially return back to God. And that's consistent with the heavenly parents that I believe in that mm-hmm. want to, that. More to share on that? Yeah. Um, I just, yeah, I think, like you were saying, I love that umbrella term. Um, I just think the way I am and the way God's made me my whole life is I care about others. I care about others who aren't like me. <laughs> That's just how I've been made. And I, I just, I have to have something like this. Um, and so I can, I can never, I, I can never believe anything different that I just believe that there, there has to be a way back for everyone. Like you, like you were saying, you know, I think I do believe that God wants, you know, all of his children back and, of to my knowledge, I remember, I mean, when you grow up in the church, you, you watch the Joseph Smith videos. You have to, I feel like, at some point. And in one of those things, I, I have a vivid memory of the, the movie, I think, where the dad was saying, um, I just want, I don't want, I don't think God wants only a few of us back, Joseph. And to me, in the, at least what the movie was portraying is that is why Joseph had his, it's part of the big reason why Joseph had his first vision, because he's like, I think that struck, that struck home to him. And, you know, obviously that was an important part of his revelations in this church is this plan of salvation, because I personally don't believe Joseph had that feeling either that God only wanted his few of his children back because, you know, you wouldn't feel comfortable if all these pastors you're going to were telling that your family was going to go to hell because they didn't believe what they believed in. And so I just think that's, I just really feel that internally, that that is a very important part of my life. And you said a really interesting thing about why you feel that is because you have natural compassion for all these people. Mm-hmm. We may talk about a Jewish young man in your high school later on mm-hmm. um, as an example of that. But I love that I think a lot of people in our faith are wired to see other, just us all as the same human family and would want the same things for them that we have. Mm-hmm. Talk other things that keep you, that are core to your belief in the church. Uh, yes, I love the focus on the atonement. I think obviously I do believe that, you know, many Christians um, believe this in very similar, but I love the focus on the garden Gethsemane and the atonement. I really do. But I, I personally do. I, I wear a cross every day because I do want to remember my savior, um, which is a bit different than many people in, in our church, but I do find it very important to me because I love his suffering for me. I find it very personal. Um, but I think I just love that view. It's less about the death and more about his, whole atonement, his whole, the whole process and how he very internalized, he internalized his feelings towards us. And obviously it was just a, it was a, it's a broader thing than the vast majority of Christianity believes. And I really enjoy that and learning about more about my savior and his sacrifice. I just think it makes more sense to me than just he died. I think there had to be more than just he died. Cause I just, I mean, there has to be more. So why, why did it mean something that he died? I love that aspect. I do too. And I continue to learn about that. Um, I think there's parts of the atonement, the resurrection that I understood pretty young as a kid, I could comprehend that if I had a missing limb, that because of Christ's resurrection, I wouldn't have, I would have that missing limb back. And, but as I've, and I understood the 
repentance, part of the atonement, because I was and still am taking advantage of that. But there's other aspects of the atonement that I continue to better understand, and that's all the pain that comes into our lives that's not sin-related. And the ability of the atonement and sometimes good therapists to heal because Christ has descended below all things. I love that scripture in D&C, the sort of that he understands, even if there's not a story in the scriptures of Christ walking the specific roads you, a listener, may be walking, there's this descended below all things that he can reach you and heal you. And I agree with you on that. I, that seems unique to our faith. Mm-hmm. The cross is something we've never talked about in this podcast. Really? Um, we're into the 300 episodes, and I had a little cross that a YSA gave me that I kept on my credenza my whole time as a bishop, because I've always felt the cross as a symbol of Christ. And I've recognized that somewhere in around 1950, 1960, it sort of, there was a, a, a cultural shift, not mm-hmm. a doctrinal shift, a cultural shift away from the cross, and maybe a desire from a pragmatic perspective to separate us from other Christian religions. It's, it's not a doctrinal thing. We can't wear the cross or (laughs) anymore. Cause I, I, it's a very unique part of you. Mm -hmm. Um, My wife grew up in Texas and you know, she loves the cross. She, her family joined the church, but she's always had this feeling about the cross. It's always been part of her family's journey with Christianity. Any more feelings about the cross? You, sure. You actually wear a cross. I do, yes. And my friends can vouch that. that is <laughs> they ask me why, and they're like, okay, I, I talk about it. They're like, okay, no more. Like, they don't want to listen, but I think it's funny in that way. But um, I, I just think, I want to like, I just think it kind of puts, I don't know. I love wearing my Savior close to my heart because it is at the forefront of my life. And I think, you know, the, the heart is an important part of anything. Um, although we, we, we know that the heart doesn't actually influence our brain. I mean, it doesn't influence our brain, but what I mean by that, it's like, it's your brain, not your heart, That in the sense of what we say is the heart, but just having it close to your heart, because we use that as a term in our, in our society, in our language, just having it there, I think, reminds me. I constantly, like, love that. And I think I don't wear it outright above my clothing often, but when I do, I feel pride. I feel like a sense of I'm, I, God loves me. And I'm okay with being being open about that. I'm okay with knowing this. And I think, um, I, I just love it. I just think it's such a beautiful symbol. Um, I think it's very, it's a beautiful part of his suffering. Um, and it's, a, I mean, obviously beautiful is a weird word, to ter- weird term to say there, but it's part of the atonement. Um, and yet I don't find that we see it that way that often, which is and when I, when I love the part the atonement we talk about, I, I think we, we tend to sway away from that aspect because we do not wear it or we tie, for some reason we have this thing where we say it's not part of our religion, but it really is. And I just really love wearing it. I just feel a sense of, of gratitude. I think that's really the reason why. And I just, I, I think wearing something that means something is worth much more than just wearing something because you want to wear it. And so it has meaning and I just love it. So there's just a little bit upon that. But I think that's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> I think it's an insight into who you are. And you're just willing to do things that bring you closer to Christ and help you be a better person. I can't imagine Christ saying, Jake, I don't want you to wear something that makes you remember me. Mm-hmm. I love the wording you said, it's close to my heart. And the visual imagery of that and the symbolism of that, I think that's awesome. And I think culturally we need to sort of, it can 
you know, some people judge people for wearing crosses. (laughs) Yes, this is very true. And I think we need to sort of mature beyond that. There's no doctrine around, you know, not wearing the cross. It's not a temple recommend question. Mm -hmm. And if you listen to Jake's answer why he's wearing the cross, I think um, our Heavenly Father and the Savior would love that because it's accomplishing their goals for their children. So that's a great example into who you are and just owning who you are and be willing to be who you are, even though at times you may feel some judgment for that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Talk about other things that come to your mind that sort of are core to your testimony mm-hmm. at the church. I, I thoroughly believe in the Book of Mormon. I, I love that. Um, the Book of Mormon is, has been wonderful in my life. Um, there's just so many great scriptures. I mean, I love the scriptures and we'll get into like a little more of that, I think. But the scriptures are a fundamental part of who I am. And I think that, you know, I just, I've done a lot of research on, um, on Joseph Smith and, and I just can't, I just, I just think it's, I just don't know how he could have written it. I just don't. And the, the joy and feeling I feel when I read it just proves to me that it is a true document. Um, and that I, I will always cherish the words. Um, and, it, and it's definitely core to all my other scriptures. So, other, I feel the same way about the Book of Mormon. Other things in this list that come to mind? Um, I think I love the, I mean, in ways, I, I, lo- I do love the, the focus on, on just the family, um, that family is important. I like that. Now, I mean, there are different things upon that where it's a little tough, but, and we'll get into that, but just the sense that we grasp that the family is the forefront of, of life. I, I like that. Yeah, that, that is what the church is centered on. Talk about the things that are hard for you that you may not agree with in the church or you wish would change. Yes. Um, well, on this family topic, um, I definitely struggle with our church's stance um, of my LGBTQ brothers and sisters. Um, that is definitely hard for me. I've always, my whole life, had this sense of compassion towards them. I don't know why. I can't really understand why. It's just how God made me, but I felt very compassionate towards these people. And I believe, I very strongly believe that if God made someone a certain way, then they have to have a plan of happiness. And I don't think that these, this is a struggle. I don't think this is a trial in someone's life. I think it's, inherent, it's just who they are. It's who God made them to be. And if that's the case, I struggle. I really do struggle that they don't have, they really don't, if they want to stay in our church, they really don't have a plan of happiness. They can't be who they are. And it's very hard for me. And I internalize that a lot. And have you tilt your microphone just up a little bit? I should have done that beginning. You're tall. You're taller than my last guest. (laughs) Talk about um, these kind of three things that are important we talked about before we went live. Definitely. Um, I, after a lot of prayer consideration and pondering upon this issue I do have, I've, I came up with just three things that I, that makes me struggle um, with our stance. Um, You know, there's three, I think there's three core fundamental things in life that God wants us to do or God wants us to have really. And the th- I'll just lay the three things out. I think that everyone in this, in this life should be, should have a loving, should be loved and raised. I think the first one is being raised with love um, and have that family unit and have that family connection. I love my family so dearly and 
So imagine not having that would be hard. And that's one thing. And why could that be hard for an LGBTQ person? Because many families kick them out of their, of their lives. Um, and that is hard. I mean, I have a lot, many of my LGBTQ friends don't have supportive parents and not even, I wouldn't even say supportive is not the word. They don't have parents that love who they are anymore. And it's so sad to me. Um, it's very hard for them. And that's the first, I think having that, um, that connection is crucial. I mean, that's the forefront of our existence here. Like I said, it's a part of the part of the gospel I love is the focus on families, but a lot of them don't. And the second would be to have a relationship. I think we focus so hard in our church about relationships with others. And it's very, I mean, I feel as a member of the church here at my age, it's kind of pushed to find that relationship for myself. And to think that my gay friends can never have a relationship if they want to stay in the church hurts me because it's a very important part of my life. And I want them to have the happiness I have had by, by doing the things I do, by dating, by all those things. It's very hard for me to grasp. And that's just another thing. And the third would be to raise something. I think there's just an inherent desire that God has given us to all of his children to raise something. So many people, that's, that's, that's children. I think everyone has this desire. They want to, they want to give life. It's just how we've been, how we've been created as humans. And a lot of, I mean, for the most part, if you were living and you don't have a spouse and you don't, it's hard to raise anything. I mean, obviously you, there's other things you can raise, but I think the child aspect is, is a, a much deeper aspect of something. And so those are the three things. Those are the three fundamental things of life. I think that, that God wants us to experience that quite frankly, if my LGBTQ sisters stay in the church, they can't, I mean, maybe they can have one if they have a very supportive family, but the other two, if they want to stay, <laughs> it's just not possible. And I don't, I find that hard for me to, to really internalize and grasp. You've done a good job of explaining that. And thank you for being so open. I think a lot of members feel the same way and they're trying to figure out how to navigate this because there's things they love and believe in, but there's things that are difficult for them and they don't, and they don't see the fairness and they recognize you've got a path to all three of those things, Jake. When I was your age, I had a path to all three of those things. And it provided a lot of motivation for me when I was at BYU. Mm -hmm. um, for my career, for everything I was doing, I wanted to provide for that future family. I wanted to raise something and have hope sort of that those two of those three things were taken out of my life. I don't know how that would have affected me. And I think as you talk about that, it just creates empathy for people that walk a different road. And I've learned we can't just point to the next life and say it'll be okay. Mm -hmm. That keeps everything kind of safe for me emotionally and in a nice tidy box. But I think when you to develop true empathy, which you are doing and have done, you recognize just the feeling of inequality there. And it creates heartache and empathy. And talk about um, when did this, if I talked to you in high school or on your mission, is this all post-mission or is this kind of a gradual journey for you? <laughs> Very gradual. Um, I think my first, uh, my first exposure to this, uh, and I, I recently reached out to this girl uh, in, this is back, I live in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I was, I was the only member of the church. I mean, not the only, but church, uh, church members in Scottsdale are um, far and few between. There's not many of us. And um, growing up, I think I was in the third or fourth grade around that age group. And I, I had a really, one of my best friends was this girl. And I remember we were at, we were at the lunch table um, in elementary school and she brought up um, like, do, what do we believe? Like, do, do you think it's okay that people are gay? 
anything like our government should support it, like gay marriage stuff. And at such a young age, it's something I've I never really thought about, but yet like I was like, no, like no, I don't feel I, that's weird. I, I mean, it was just how I was young. I was naive and innocent young. But at the back of my head, I always had this feeling that, you know what, like I just don't wrestle with that. And that just grew as my 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 aunt and uncle, um, uh, my uncle is Steve Young and my aunt is Barb Young. And um I don't remember when Prop 8 was a thing. It was a California. Um, but I remember that was a big pressing issue. Our church actually stated that we should. That was, it was a tough time for LGBTQ people then. And I, 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 feel ter- I feel very empathetic for that time period. But I think, you know, going to school um, where, you know, at a later time when people would ask me my, how my aunt and uncle's relationship was, like, it was interesting because I, people were very judgmental about them in my, where I, like, after I moved to Mesa and they would talk to me about, cause I mean, as a kid, what your parents say is, is knowledge and truth. There's no, anything less of it. So naturally as a kid, if you hear something from your parents, you're going to go tell someone that knows that person. It's just how it works as a kid. We're just innocent. Right. And so I, I heard some, you know, not, not the best things about my aunt and uncle. Not from your parents. Not from my from parents, parents, but from the parents, I mean, from the kids that I was growing up around. Their parents. Their We're parents would tell you. them and then they would tell me. Got it. That this is what my parents have said about, <laughs> it was very judgmental and I just didn't rest well. Like it just hurt me as a, such a, at such a young age, at such a young kid. Um, and I just didn't understand why I, I still had this why question. And then that was just another thing that kind of grew this part of my life. And then I remember in high school, um, there's this one kid, uh, I think I was a sophomore in high school. He was this, he was Jewish, which in Mesa, Arizona, that was the, the only Jewish person there in Scottsdale. It was different. And there's many Jewish people, but in there it was, he was the only Jewish people that everyone knew. And he started cross-dressing at 16. Um, and so he would come to school with a, with a bra on and, um, <laughs> my friends were brutal. Um, and I just felt so bad for this kid. I felt so much empathy and love and I don't know. I just felt this sense of, I need to do something because the things that people around me would say, um, the things that people around me would do. Um, I mean, it was bullying right in front of my eyes and it just, I felt terrible. I felt, I would sit in bed at night and I was like, I don't know. I was just like, I couldn't imagine being this kid. Um, and if I were this kid, I would not want to be in this world. And I just felt so much just love. And so I decided, you know, I needed to do something. I couldn't, I couldn't stand, I couldn't take it anymore. Um, and so I decided to write, I wrote him a, a letter just, and I, I don't remember what I said or anything, but I remember I writing my number and said, Hey, if you're, if you ever are down, you need someone to talk to I'm here for you. And I, I love you. And I remember I gave, I gave him a, I don't know. I think I baked him something or I just gave him a gift along with it. So it wasn't just a note. It was, you know, present. Um, it was a gift. And I gave it to this girl who had a, cause I knew if I approached him, he'd run away because I was around the kids saying things about him. So I gave it to this one girl who had a class with him, who was working in a project with him. Um, and I gave it to her and I hope it got passed to him. I never knew, but just that event itself just really <laughs> like curated me and forged this love um, that I do have for my brothers and sisters. 
And then through that, you know, I go on my mission and I get to teach a gay couple. I get to teach a transgender person. And that only just, I get to, I, yeah, I got to, it was a, it was a privilege. It wasn't like I had to, it was like, I was like, wow, like, like this is God cultivating and growing like who he wants me to be in this field. Like who else has these experiences where that has this event happen that, and I was so grateful for it. And I, it was amazing. And the perspective they brought into my life, um, it was amazing. I just realized by talking to them, I just really knew that it was who they were. Like this, this transgender person had surgery, I believe at 13 years old, um, was female to female to male. And just like to know that, like, it wasn't something like, I don't know. I always had these weird, I don't know. Like it was just these cultural things, you know, that we all have, but this exposure to me, just realizing that this is who he was and this is who he, God wanted him to be was amazing to me. And, you know, then I have fast forward. So I, I get home from my mission. I just realized that, you know what? I need to be there. You know, I'm, I'm very, like, I'm straight and that's who I am. But that doesn't mean I can't be there for people. It doesn't mean I can't be involved in this community. It doesn't mean I can't hang out with my gay friends. It doesn't mean that it's weird being around them at all. And it hasn't been. And I love hanging out with my gay friends. Or I wouldn't even say gay, my LGBTQ friends, because they all fit in that category. And it's been, a, I mean, I, I love being open with them and them learning about me and me learning about them. And it's only really growing my stance and further made my stance so much more true that God really does have a plan for these people. And that God really does love these people and these people should have a chance. And God doesn't want these people to be suicidal and God does not want these people to be sad. He wants them to be happy just like I am. And that was so, it was just tied and true to me. I have had spiritual witness. We we need to love a little, not even a little more, we need to love more and we need to help these people more. And there's more to be done with these people. Like that this isn't God's final say. It's just, I can't rest well with that. I, I, I just, I can't, it's just inherently, I just cannot do it. And so that's how I grew and cultivated that love for my LGBTQ brothers and sisters. It's a great segment. Talk about what we do if you hope that things change in the church. Let's even say you hope doctrine changes in yeah. our church. Is that, how do, just talk about that. Because um, my, I guess I'm, my feeling is we ought to create space for people in the church that hopes something changes, even potentially doctrine. Mm-hmm. Um, we ought to not call them, we ought to not sort of say, well, you're not, a, if they can sort of continue to obey current doctrine and sort of follow the prophet, even though if privately or, sh- or sharing with a group of people, they hope something changes, I would hope we wouldn't make them feel like they're the tares or the elect getting deceived or yeah. some of the things we do, we'd create space in our church for people that hope something changes. Yeah. Just talk about, it's kind of a complicated subject. I, yeah. Um, that's something that I've, it's taken a lot of pondering because as you're raised, you know, with the strict, we have a very strict family proclamation in the world. It's not an easy document to read. It really isn't. Um, it's something that I, I do. I, I remember on my mission, it was so hard to teach because I didn't believe in it. I, I just never have. I mean, and it's always been hard for me. It's just been a hard subject. Um, I, I just believe that I, I, I mean, going back, I believe that this is who they are and this is who God made them to be. 
And I don't want to withhold any blessings from someone. I don't find that Christ-like. Um, and it may not make sense to a lot of people in their heads. Because yes, we procreate. Male to female, yes, procreation is made. But I do think there can be a, a very healthy relationship, even with someone who is male to male, female to female, or any sort of transgender relationship as well. That those can be just as beautiful a relationship as my future relationship that I may have, or my parents' relationship. And that shouldn't alter, that shouldn't change their validation of parenthood um, within their children if they decide to adopt. And just that space in general, I think, um, it is a tough issue. It's a tough thing to grapple with because we've been in our minds our whole lives. It's not been something that we thought about because quite frankly, it just isn't like, it's just not part of our culture, but it is real. It's not something we can run away from. It's very pressing. It's in our, it is something that we need to do something about. And my hope, my hope is that they have equal opportunity we do. Um, because I truly, if it's who they are, and I, I, I just don't think it's just going to go away when they die. It's just not, I just don't think that. Because every gay person I know is so unique and so incredible and so beautiful in their own way. And for someone to tell me that when they die, they're going to change, I just can't, I can't believe it. Because I've had such good experiences with them and such deep feelings with them that this really is God, who God made. This is who he made. This is who they are. And they are, I mean, right now, they are, they are fighting the front line. I feel so much empathy because they, I mean, it's hard. It is not an easy, it's not easy for them to be what they're doing, what they're doing. It's not easy for them to be open in the sense that they, the people that are open, I want to say thank you 100% to you because you are doing the grounds work. You are on the front line fighting this tough battle. And I know it's hard. I know it is depressing sometimes, but know that there are people out there that love you and would love to talk to you and love that you're open and love that you are creating this change in our society and community and that you really are creating this, this not even new, but this full God-loving um, culture, this new shift. We can call it a new shift, but I think it's just the, the loving shift. It's what God wants. Um, and that is my hope. My hope is that you have the same rights that I do, because I just truly believe that you right now, whoever you may be, maybe struggle, not, I wouldn't say struggling, that's a wrong word, that have these feelings that you know that these are, these are God sent and these aren't. This is not a trial. This is you. And God made you this way. And I want, I just want you to have equal opportunity that I do. And I will push and I will, I will, I'll be there on the front, line, front lines with you. I'm not going to run away because I, I know that this is how I, I feel. And I can't run away from that. And so that's my hope. I hope. And I think it's hard to be optimistic, but I, th I believe having glass full, half full is much better than having glass half empty. And that mindset, if we can push and be happy and um, really try to, try to, it's hard, I know, but try to be happy with who we are and push, then this whole process is going to be more beautiful and more amazing. Um, and so that's my hope and my, that's my dream in this field. I like to hear people's hopes. I think hope is my favorite word. And you have hope. This is, that was a segment about hope. It was hope 
your hopes for LGBTQ people having the same opportunities that you have. And I would just, I want to create space in our faith for people like Jake. There's people like Jake that are willing to be on a podcast and be pretty open about his hopes and his feelings. As a Latter-day Saint, there are probably a lot of people listening that share the same hopes as Jake, but maybe a parent of an LGBTQ child, you may be anybody. Um, and I just hope that we create space for people in our faith. I, you know, in my book, I reference Jana Reese's research with millennials about the percent of those that support legal same-sex marriage in the United States, and it's more than half of Latter-day Saint millennials. And my point in bringing that up is, you know, I, our church is going to get small if it's only acceptable for people that, you know, don't ever want things to change for LGBTQ people and feel we're at the finish line right now and there, and there isn't a door open for continued revelation. President Nelson talks about the ongoing restoration and vitamins and, and is it possible that there's, you know, my feeling is I don't know Heavenly Father's will on this issue. I'm not a leader in the church, but I'm open. I sort of talk about a 40-chapter book. The church's relationship with its LGBTQ members is like a 40-chapter book. I don't know what chapter in. And to me, chapter 40 is sort of the chapter that Jake talks about. It's where everybody has the same experience, the balm of Gilead. Um, another example is when a mom learns her 13-year-old son's gay or trans that she isn't full of fear. And right now, that's one of the scariest things for an LDS mom to learn is that her child is not straight. And to me, chapter 40 represents when that fear is gone, all alike unto God. So I, I, I just appreciate Jake being open. And I hope that no one, if there's Jakes in your life or in your congregation, in your family, I just hope we don't use shaming tactics to shut Jake down. Like you're going to, the elect that are going to be seated at the last day, or you're the tares, or you're listening to the world, or you're son. And I just, because we're going to lose Jake. And we're going to lose people like Jake. So I just pray and hope we can create space. And um, there's less people my age that feel the way Jake does. There's a lot of people Jake's age that feel the way Jake does because they just see Christ's ministry to the most marginalized and doing everything to help them feel included. And they look at the doctrine and the example of Christ. And so I just think we need to create space, that particularly in this space, to create a lot of permission for people to have a lot of different feelings. Now, where I draw the line in the sand, and you'll have to help me, you may have a different line in the sand, is I'm not going to go protest. You know, I'm not going to join a movement to try to change church doctrine. I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to be, you know, campaigning for a doctrinal change. Um, and so that's kind of where I've drawn the line in the stand. I support and sustain our leaders. Um, I don't know where your line in the sand is, if it's different than that, if you want to talk about that or. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a hard pressing issue because I'm walking that, like you said, I'm walking kind of a different path, different line. Um, but I, I just stand with them and um, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm the one who gets, I, I don't get, a, I, I, I honestly, my thing I strive the most with is never to get, get upset. I think that, the feeling of upset is not a God-driven feeling. You can be frustrated. That's a fine feeling, but I think it's different to be upset and using anger. If we're doing, I think my line in the sand is if I'm, if I'm campaigning or protesting out of love, 
because it's, it, it's different. I think if we do it out of anger, it's not getting us a place because it's not, it's not working. It doesn't work. But if we do it out of love, because we love what we, we, we love the people and we love these things and I'm all for it. If I feel the spirit when I'm doing that, if I feel the spirit when I'm going to go, if I were to go protest, I would be there 100%. If I feel a feeling of negativity and anger, I'm, I'm going to walk away because I don't, I don't believe that that's what God wants us to be doing. Um, but I think that's, that's the line in the sand for me. Did you participate in some of the BYU protests? Were you back for your mission by then? Were you at BYU? I was, and I wish I did. Um, I had class. That's okay. <laughs> so, um, and that was last year, I remember. Um, and honestly, like, I, I'm not very involved at BYU. BYU is kind of interesting for me. I don't know how long. It's longer I'm going to stay there, to be honest. But um, so it's a interesting place, and I can't say I'm very involved. So I didn't really know it was actually even happening until I heard from my when until my my gay friends posted it on their Instagram and stories and whatnot I was like oh that happened I wish I was there with them but I would have judged it then but I can't no I was not there but it's okay I wish I could have stood with all you I love I love what you said that I want to do this out of love and not out of anger and I'll be places where I feel love uh, I love that principle to provide foundation on what you're going to do so that's helpful for me. So instead of saying I'm not going to protest, you're sort of using a principle-based decision matrix to decide what is appropriate for you. And I think that's a better way to sort of process that. And so if this is a protest out of love and support, and it, it's not a protest that leads to anger or hate, then that's something that I, Jake Young, am comfortable with. Is that? Mm -hmm. 100%. Mm -hmm. um, I like that. I think that's part of our doctrine of love. And I do recognize, even in conference, we talked about sort of, I, I don't want to paraphrase a conference talk, but we certainly in the last conference being October 2020, talked about, you know, appropriate protests, I believe, um, as part of the general civil unrest that's part of the United States right now. So I just think we need to create... I guess one of the points here is my line in the sand may be different than you as listeners. And Jake's line in the sand may be a little different than mine. And my goal isn't to create the same line in the sand. My goal is to create a way that we just create space for people to have different lines in the sand that want to participate in our faith. Because I'm a big tent LDS guy. I want, <laughs> I love the restored doctrine that Jake talks about, that he taught in, in, in Canada. I love there's a lot of stories he told me before about just wanting to do service and just love people. And, and to me, that's what Christ wants us to do. So I want to create a place where, you know, more people feel like they belong in our faith. One heart and one mind in Moses, Jake, and our listeners doesn't mean we have uniform beliefs about every aspect, but that we have a common goal to come unto Christ and help others mm -hmm. come unto Christ. That's so beautiful. Share more about, I don't know if you want to go on past LGBTQ. Mm -hmm. I love you wrote this letter to this, this Jewish guy, um, trans Jewish guy. Mm -hmm. I hope he got that letter. I think it's, I love that you recognize just your own moral compass. This comes back to perhaps our plan of salvation that I believe that that moral compass is part of your pre-mortal identity. Mm -hmm. And part of the spiritual work you did to prepare yourself for mortality that 
brought that, I like moral compass or compass or sense mm-hmm. of right and wrong. It wasn't learned, you know, because you didn't have any training to respond that way. In fact, yeah. the training you had from your friend group was to respond just the opposite. But something about you, and there's, and this is for you other listeners to follow that, because I think it's part of your pre-mortal sort of maturity and the things you develop that brings you in situations where you just feel a sense of right and wrong and you respond in ways that I think are really helpful, even though they may be not the typical response. So I hope, I hope someday you hear the rest of the story. Paul Harvey's way before your day, but some of my older listeners remember Paul Harvey on the radio and he would tell the rest of the story um, of something like that. And then he would tell the rest of the story. And those were some of my favorite stories. Any more about LGBTQ, Jake? Um, I mean, I think I covered, I mean, I think I talked about what I, what I wanted to it with it, but. Talk about what your LGBTQ friends are teaching you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're teaching me to, I think, they're teaching me how to honestly obey my baptismal covenants better. Um, they're teaching me how to obviously love better. Um, they're teaching me how to just walk a life just more love, like love-based. I don't know. It's, if I didn't have this in my life, I don't think I really could say I was mourning with those who mourn and standing with those who stand in comfort. And I really can't say I really was loving everyone. I think those are two things that really vividly stick out. Um, and that I really am so grateful for that. I don't think I would be the same person if I didn't have, wouldn't have participated in getting to know them a little more and getting to love them a little more. Um, and that has just been such a blessing in my life that I'm eternally grateful for, um, because it's grown, it's helped me grow up so much. And so. It's great. I feel the same way. I felt like my job at first was to, as an ally to sort of rescue LGBTQ people. And certainly I've done some of that, but like you, Jake, I feel like they've rescued me to some extent and have taught me things about the gospel of Jesus Christ and my baptism covenants that wouldn't be possible mm-hmm. without those people in my life. I love your shout out to Barb and Steve Young, your uncle and aunt, and they've been great mentors to me, both of them, for the things they've taught me about this space. Steve has written the forward to the book we've talked about on the podcast. So um, your whole entire family is just an incredible, wonderful family that has um, done so much good for so many people. And I have so much love and respect for, and you're part of that. That DNA is in you, but you're also unique in your own spirit and your own way of ministering and reaching and serving. Um, Talk about just other things that are difficult for you um, church-wise that we can create space for others. For sure. And this isn't a bash on the church podcast. (laughs) I think you all know we're both trying to come this as a, from a faithful perspective, but we need to talk about these things. Um, within the walls of our church or podcast to be able to just talk about them. So go ahead. Yeah. I think one of the, I mean, the, the, I, there's, there's a few more, but I think the, one of the biggest ones besides this that I just talked about um, is the push for commandments and, and less love. Um, I just think that as, as a church culture and as a church in general, we judge people off um, what they do and less about their character. And I want to, I think it's much better to be around people when you, around someone because of their character and less about what they do. You're around someone because you love them for who they, what they bring out and less about what they do or what they believe. And that's been always hard for me. I can't say I've ever 
you know, it's interesting because I remember um, Thomas Sponson and one of his things he said, you know, dare to be a Mormon, dare to stand alone. Um, I don't know the rest of the quote, but um, dare to make it known. I don't know. You know what I'm talking about. And I just can never say I was ever proud to say that. I don't know if I've ever really been proud to say that I am a Mormon or am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Because I don't, for me in my life, it's hard because I don't think I believe on some of these issues as much. I, I don't, I, it's hard for me to, it was hard for me on my mission. Like, this is what I've come to. The hardest thing about my mission was me wearing a name tag with that on it. And it wasn't Christ. It was just the fact that it represented that. Um, and it was something I always struggled with um, because I'm different than my church. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm different than what it, all the beliefs in it. And this is a very precedenting issue, in my opinion. It's something that I really struggle with. I really struggle um, that we don't, we don't care as much about people's character. Um, someone could be an amazing person, um, but they may have left the church. Um, they could do amazing things in their life, but yet we still go back to that same thing that they did leave the church. And so there's not as much blessing for them. I, it frustrates me. It really frustrates me because I believe that if that's what's making someone happiest in life, then that, quite frankly, is what God wants for them. And that is okay. It's perfectly fine. And we need to make space for those people and make them know that we still love them, regardless of their decision, because we can't make decisions for people. We can't. And us judging someone because of that makes it so much hard for them to want to even be around this society, around this culture. And if we really want to have this culture of love and follow what Christ taught, which is two simple commandments, which is love God and love your neighbor. And even he, pre he even, um, not preface, but after he said these things, he said, and upon these things hang all, all the laws of the prophets. He's basically saying that this is literally most important. We, this is at what hangs highest. If there's anything I've taught, this is the highest of highs. That's what I, that's what I learned from that scripture. And that's what I feel. And that's all I've believed. And so when we don't make space and we don't, and we don't allow space and we don't really love and get to know maybe the why, not why to bring them back. That's the wrong motive. That's not love. Love is the why to understand. It's the why to, to, to know who you are. It's the, it's the, I stand with you. I understand why. That's what love is. Love is, love is an action. It's not a word. And I, it makes me sad because in our language, our English language, we have one word. Um, in Greek, I love how it has agape love and it has the other loves. And I love how Jesus Christ, every time he spoke, you know, the New Testament is written in Greek, translated from Greek. I mean, that's what we have the translation from. Every time Christ says love in the New Testament, it's agape, which is, uh, which is um, it's love at the highest. It's unconditional love. And we talk a lot about that in the church, having unconditional love, but I don't think we internalize what that actually means. Unconditional love is literally love without condition. It means that just like if my, let's just say my brother comes out gay, um, that I am not going to have any ill will, Ill, Ill thoughts about my brother. My brother is my brother regardless of what he does. And that event that um, is not changing that love. And I'm not going to go and get him out of my life. That's unconditional love. That's agape love. That's Christ's love. That's the love Christ taught. Um, that's the gospel. It's quite frankly, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I have struggle being here where I'm around and people talk about, oh my gosh, I saw so-and-so drinking alcohol. 
I saw so-and-so like, I'm worried, blah, blah. Like, no, let them, give them space. Just because it's for you, just because this is what you may believe, doesn't mean you should judge them based upon their actions because maybe their actions are different than you. And that's okay. There's so many, our church isn't, it's not, like I said, 99.98% of people aren't in our church. So let's give space to those other 99.98% of people. And those people that may once have been here in our church and find out that they really can't be as happy as they could be here. And just give them the space to say, it is okay. And that I still love you the same, regardless of what you've done. And when I look at Christ's life and his ministry, I believe that's all he did. He talked to the woman at the well, um, who was a Samaritan, who, I mean, was the most marginalized and hated group of all of where he grew up. But he took the time to talk to her. He healed the lepers, blessed the sick. He, he caught the woman, and the woman in adultery, he loved her and had, had no ill will towards her. Um, and there's just so many beautiful examples. Even the Pharisees who drove him insane. I, I, I know the Pharisees and Sadducees just drove him up a, up a wall. But the way he responded to them in love and responded with questions, he never bashed them. I don't, like, I really have never seen it. Like, he may have, like, given some, maybe some questions that were like, come on. But he never was, like, outright, like, you're horrible, you're wrong, you're blah, blah. No, he loved. He did it out of love. Because, like I said, he had that unconditional love for his, for his brothers and sisters because the Pharisees and Sadducees are our brothers and sisters. They aren't, they shouldn't be viewed as these negative people because they really are, they're a part of the whole society. And within our, within our whole entire world, we have people that fit in all these categories. We have the marginalized people and you can probably come up with who those are. I hear a lot of their voices right now in our world. You can find the people that maybe the pharisaical, whatever, not pharisaical, Pharisee-like people or the Sadducee-like people. Um, and they're all around us. And, and, and they love, and they, I mean, we need to love them just the same. We need to have unconditional love for them. So it's hard for me to be in the society and culture um, as to which I, I'm afraid to be who I am because who I am to you, you may think it's wrong, but to me, it's the, the path God's leading me in because I am, I believe I'm very led by the spirit and the spirit is telling me certain things that I need to do in my life. And it may be different than what my, I've been taught, maybe different than what my faith group says. But I have internalized and I pray often and I fast and I know that this is what God wants for me. And my path is not your path and your path is not mine. And I cannot judge you for the path you go on. And I hope you don't judge me for mine. And if you do, well, that's, that's your, that's, I mean, that's, that's up to you. But that's not going to affect me and how I'm going to go because I want to live a life full of love. I want to live a life that, inspires people from love. I want to help others feel that, that I do love them and regardless of who they are. And I, I'm sick of having these preconceived notions that I believe a certain way because of my religion, because I, and I, I think it's sad that we've come that way, that I, the first thing that when I was with my gay friends, when they first met me, they asked me where I went to school. They asked me if I was still active in the church. And I said, yes, and yes. And it took me five times, four times, I think, hanging out with them before they truly opened up to me because they're too scared. Even though I was there with them, they were too scared because they knew I was still active in the church. That's sad to me. I don't like that. That does not rest well with me. That is not something I like about our culture. I, need, I think that needs to go away. We need to come to Christ's gospel once again. We need to find that love again. We need to find the agape love, find the unconditional love for our brothers and sisters. We need to 
do better. We need to be better. We really do. And until we do that, I can never, I, I can't really say I'm, I'm proud um, because it's, it's, it's hard. It's not easy for me to be here. Um, and I, it doesn't rest well with me. And I think that's probably my most pressing issue. Um, and you can say, well, that's not what the doctrine teaches, but you're, you are right because Christ didn't teach this. It's not what the doctrine teaches. But when most people in my faith group are that way, I find that they've interpreted it wrong. And they are. It is teaching it that way. Not because that's what Christ wants, but because we're human and we're not perfect. And the church is not perfect. And that's something we need to realize that we're, if, yeah, no one's perfect. Um, but we need to be living life led out of love. And that's what I've realized. And that's something I do struggle with very deeply. This, thanks for being so honest. That was a great segment. And this is the vulnerable podcast where it's a safe place for everybody to share how they feel. And that was great. And I think you, you know, Jake hasn't told you this, but he's read on his mission. He read the new Testament five times, the book of Mormon, three times, the old Testament, two times. This is a guy that is taking this really seriously. This is not a casual sort of interest in the gospel of Jesus Christ, a relationship with heavenly father or how best to, honor baptism covenants to bear mourning comfort. This is hardwired into Jake Young. And you may not like me talking like this about him because he's a pretty humble guy, but this is somebody who's taking this pretty seriously and willing to talk on a podcast and share how he feels. And I just, I mean, I, I really like what Jake shared. And I just pray and hope that we create space for, there's a lot of people that feel like Jake. And I've been open with my feelings that are very consistent with Jake and in the book I wrote. I don't think anything Jake said is outside the doctrine of Christ. Um, what he taught, I think, or outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ, same thing. I think our church is just a work in process still to fully match the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, I feel like I can be confident enough in our in the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and, and heavenly parents to just look inward and recognize we have more work to do. It doesn't threaten my testimony. It doesn't threaten my belief in our leaders to just recognize we have more work to do in many spaces and that sometimes we've made mistakes and we may continue to make mistakes. I don't expect perfect leaders. I don't expect perfect policy. Um, I certainly, and so I just, but if we go back to the doctrine of love, it is a doctrine that Jake taught. It's not like this nice attribute that's sort of ranked forth after everything else. It is what Jake taught, what Christ taught. Um, that powerful, when I think of done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me, I think of transgender people. I think of LGBTQ people. I think of undocumented workers. I think of people that have been you know, victims of race, racism. And I just think those are foundational parables that were intentionally taught in multiple different ways that you just went through, Jake, to give us a doctrinal foundation for how to navigate these issues of our day, um, including the things you're talking about. And so that's where the doctrine of love comes in. And I just don't think you're, any of us are going to get to the judgment seat and say we were and say, sorry, you were too loving to transgender people. You called them by their right pronouns. 
um, you hung with gay people, Jake. I just don't think our, our Savior, who's going to be our judge, is going to say that to anybody. So I think if we really own our doctrine, we do what, you know, what we need to do. And, and each of us do that on our own. I think you, this podcast has stories like Jake, and this is the way Jake is doing it. You've heard the way I'm doing it. And I just think we all kind of walk that road the best way we can in the ways we can influence people. It's just one heart you have to help at a time. Some people can help a lot of people all at once. And some people, it's just, I would guess there's people, Jake, that you are the guy that's significantly helped them and has healed their heart and given them hope and given a feeling that they're loved. Um, including that Jewish guy that may hopefully have gotten your letter and changed him. More thoughts on this subject? Yeah, I think obviously, I mean, I think there's some other things that can be alluded to of what I said. Um, obviously, blacks and priesthood does not wrestle well with me at all. Polygamy does not wrestle well with me at all. Um, those are two pressing things as well. And um, it's hard. It's hard. Um, but I find that it, it's just, it is hard. Um, it, my favorite scripture in the Book of Mormon is, um, let's see, it's, okay, I'm bad. I think it's 2 Nephi 26. 29? 20, no, no, that's, that's a different it's one. It's a different one because we talked that's about actually that. My, I would say that this is my favorite segment, but my favorite okay. scripture is a different, I think. Got it. Is it 2 Nephi 26? Um, it's so, you know the scripture. I am terrible. And my, my scripture knowledge is, I got, it's 30, is it 31 through 33? 30, just 33, it just says, For none of these iniquities come of the Lord, for he doeth that which is good among the children of men, and he doeth none, nothing save it be plain unto the children of men, and he inviteth them all to come to him, unto him and, part, and partake of his goodness, and he denieth none that come unto him, black and white, bond and free, male and female. And he remembereth the heathen, and all are alike unto God, both Jew and Gentile. That's what I believe. I don't believe our churches ever believe anything different. I mean, it shouldn't have. I mean, it, it did. Obviously, blacks and priests said it did believe something different than that. Um, it has. Um, I <laughs> struggle with the feeling it still does with my LGBTQ friends. Um, but I think that scripture quite just plainly, it's plain, it's simple knowledge. The Book of Mormon is supposed to be simple knowledge. That's what we believe it to be. This is the most simple of simple that all are like unto God. There's no one wavering. My transgender friend is alike unto God get over it. <laughs> it is. He is, or she is, or whoever he, he or she wants to be named. They are. They are. And I've realized this. And so Blacks and Priesthood is hard for me. But I, I do know that we are not perfect. Our leaders were not perfect. They never have been perfect. In the scriptures, we have plenty of examples of leaders not perfect. We have David sleeping. We have David killing Uriah the Hittite. We have Moses killing a man. We have Paul being Saul. We have Peter cutting off an ear, and I can name so many more. But no one's perfect. The only perfect man to ever walk on this earth is, earth is Christ, and he taught us to love. That's all he did. He's the one that we should look towards the most, and all these other people are examples of how we can be because they have made mistakes. And I'm not perfect by any means. But I think this is hard for me because within polygamy, within this, it just doesn't rest well. And the fact that we still, honestly, we still believe in polygamy is hard. It's very hard. It is not right to me. 
I do not believe that men should be still to more than one woman still. I just, it's very hard. Um, and it is tough. I struggle being okay with that. Um, but I have hope. I have hope for the future. I have hope that, I mean, our foundation of our church was because of a young boy decided to kneel, on his, to kneel down and pray and ask God for guidance. And I have hope that we will have guidance. In the future, I hope. I hope we have so much more. I hope we follow the counsel of, that Joseph Smith gave us to, um, if you lack wisdom, in James. But that's the scripture that made him do this. If you lack wisdom, ask of God. I lack wisdom all the time. And that's what I do. I ask God, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? And my path is different. My path is not the same one that he may tell you. Uh, my path, I don't know where I'm going to be in five years. It's hard. It's hard being in the church still. It's very hard. I don't know if I will. We, I don't know. I'm in a very, I don't know stage because it is very hard for me to be here. But all I know is that these things aren't going to go away. These pressing, precedented things are not going to go away. And something that I also struggled with is, <laughs> I mean, I love, I love many of our apostles. Um, but I remember, um, Oh my gosh, Elder Holland, he's, he gave a talk about the Book of Mormon, how you have to climb around, up or down to get out. I don't find that true. <laughs> it's, I love the Book of Mormon. I love the, Christ, the gospel of Christ. I love all of that. <laughs> and yet I still find it hard to be here. Um, and we got to be okay with that. And I'm okay with that. I'm content. I'm content knowing that the future has the future is the future and I can't control that. I'm content knowing that God, if, if it is true that God inspires our prophets, that he will inspire them and he will inspire them the way that I think they should be because it's out of love in the loving way and out of Christ, what Christ wants for our world, for our society, for everything. That's what I hope. And you know, these two issues just, are, they are tough. Um, all of these issues I've brought up are tough to me. Um, but I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I've been raised the way I have. I'm grateful that I've been raised with the gospel of Jesus Christ in my life. I'm grateful that, I've, that Christ is the center of my life. Um, because I know that I have built a rock as a foundation. And you may think, <laughs> some people may think I'm swaying. Maybe some people will think, may think my, my shore is sandy. And that it may wash away. But that's not true. Because inherently my rock is, will be the same. My rock has stayed. My rock is Christ. And I might be different. I might struggle with different things than you do. Um, but that will never change. Um, and I'd be the biggest hypocrite in the world to deny Christ. Because it's not true. It's just, I cannot do that. Um, but I just don't believe that these things, these issues in our faith are of Christ. And that makes it hard for me to be a part of something that isn't of Christ. And that's why I struggle. <laughs> and so I think that's kind of the majority of my struggles within this, but I'm trying, I'm praying. I'm trying to find what God wants for me. I want to walk the path he wants for me. And I think there's, I've never had a more spiritual led time in my life than now. And I've never had a more spiritual time in my life than with praying and, and, and um, upon praying also, I think a big part is just meditating, sit down with yourself, like listen to, listen to the spirit. Um, don't always play music in your car. That's a simple thing I started doing. Just have time for yourself to figure out what does God want you to do in your life? And I'm just grateful that I have had 
this happened to me at a young age to where I can live. I hope I live a decent life, a long, long enough life to where I can help more. Um, but I'm grateful that I have the years ahead to, I guess, live a, hopefully, I mean, if I, if I do what I need to do, live a Christ-centered, what you could call, I call it a ministry. It may not be the ministry you may think of, but it might not be the mission that I was prescribed to do for two years, but it's a different mission. It's a mission I think that I was meant to be on, the mission I was sent here to do from before I even came. This is the mission that God had for me. I cannot deny that. I'm just grateful that I'm here and I've recognized that and can move forward with that. And I'm at ease with many things to be led in a certain way to continue to grow that aspect of my life and continue to at least have the hope um, to help people. And Hebrews 1, love the scripture. Faith is the things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I think, you know, hope is just so crucial. And for everyone, I don't know, for any, any of my friends, like listening or honey, my gay or LGBTQ friends, like just have hope, just, just have hope because God loves you. And that's just plain and simple truth. There's nothing you can do in your life. That'll change that. Your worth is set. Your worth is set with God. There's nothing you can do to change. Um, no matter what you do in your life, you will always be loved and he will never love you less. And I just want that guilt to go away because we have this prescribed guilt in our faith that when you do something wrong, we're supposed to feel terrible. It's hard. And I felt that before. That's my mission a lot of the time. Um, and I want you to know you have hope and your worth is set and that's final. God loves you. And I love that. I think that's the most important part of the gospel right there. That's once again, the gospel of Christ is just love. Plain and simple. You're teaching the gospel of Christ. Do you hope to find a way to stay in the church or hope to find a way to leave or just not sure? I hope to stay. I hope. Um, it, is, it, is, it is hard. Um, because I love, I cherish what I believe in. I cherish, like I said, those, those few things I shared tonight, there's more. I cherish those. I know I can't find them anywhere else. The, to, whom do you, to, to whom will they go is very true. I don't, I don't, I don't know, but that doesn't mean that I'm just going to dapple just in this. I love going to different faith groups and learning from them. Um, I took a world religion class before my mission at BYU. My professor was wonderful. Love the guy. He changed my life. Um, on my mission, I met so many amazing people that were Islamic, that were, that were Sikh, that were Buddhist, that were Jain, that were all these beautiful religions, you know, other sects of Christianity, or even very, like I served in, like I said, Yellowknife, this area where is majority of people were native. Many people have their native beliefs. It's beautiful. I felt the spirit in many of these categories. And I think, um, I, I guess there's one more before I know, um, there's just one thing I do want to share from the Book of Mormon that I shared with my mom. Um, that I came to the knowledge of while I was here, while I was on my mission. That is so, that is my view of the church. This is my view of the gospel. This is my view of what God wants it to be. And this is my answer to where I want to be in the church, where I want to be with religion in general. And it's 2 Nephi chapter 29. Um, and I'll read um, just chapter 9 through 13. They're not too long. Don't worry. I mean, if you're this deep in the podcast, I don't think you'd be worrying anyway. So, <laughs> but it says, and I do this, that I may prove unto many that I am the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that I speak forth my words according to mine own pleasure. And because that I have spoken one word, you need not suppose that I cannot speak another. 
For my work is not yet finished, neither shall it be until the end of man, neither, shall, neither from that time henceforth and forever. Wherefore, because you may have, because you may have a Bible, you know, suppose that it contains all my words, neither need you suppose that I have not caused more to be written. For I command, this is key, for I command all men, both in the east and the west and in the north and in the south and in the islands of the sea. So everyone, they shall write the words which I speak unto them. For out of the books which shall be written, I will judge the world, every man according to their works, according to that which is written, as so important. For behold, I shall speak unto the Jews, and they shall write it. And I shall speak unto the Nephites, and they shall write it. And I shall speak un- I shall also speak unto the, unto the other tribes of the house of Israel, my other religion friends, my other beautiful, amazing people, uh, which I have, <laughs> yeah, let's see, and I should, sorry, which I have led, led away, and they shall write it. And I shall also speak unto all nations of the earth, and they shall write it. And it shall come to pass that the Jews shall have the words of the Nephites, and the Nephites shall have the words of the Jews. And the Nephites and the Jews shall have the words of the lost tribes of Israel. And the lost tribes of Israel shall have the words of the Nephites and the Jews. And it shall come to pass that my people, which are the house of Israel, shall be gathered home unto the lands of their possessions. And my word also shall be gathered in one. So all the words into one. And I will show unto them that my that fight against my word and against my people who are the house of Israel, that I am God. And that I covenanted with Abraham that I would remember his seed forever. I learned that I read that and I was, I, I had such a spiritual confirmation that I need to learn more from my brothers and sisters, <laughs> my 99.98% of my friends that God has inspired them too. God has inspired many of these leaders of these other faiths. It's not like they're wrong. We have this false sense to say that they don't have all, they don't have this knowledge. They don't have, they were not inspired. Like I, people struggle with the fact that anyone's inspired except for people that wrote the Bible or the prophets right now. But I do not believe that. I, I look at the ministry of someone like Mother Teresa, which was not that long ago. I say she lived one of the most inspired lives ever. I see other monks in other, other areas of the world that live such inspiring lives that are helping so many. And I cannot, I would be a fool to say that what they're doing is not inspired by the same God I believe in because it's not true. That is not true. And quite frankly, I need to learn more about what they believe and I need to come together. I need to tell them what I believe. We need to all come together because if we want this plan of salvation to work, we're all going to be living together. We've got to come together. And as you know, your culture makes who you are. I would not be talking here if I didn't grow up in this LDS culture. This, these precedenting issues are prescribed because of how I've been raised. So just like that, my friends over in India or any other country in the world, they've been raised way different than I have. They have much different beliefs than I may have. But yet, I need to come closer to them and understand them better. And until we all understand each other, we're not getting anywhere. We're not becoming what that scripture says. We're not becoming one. Our words are not becoming one. Our inspirations are not becoming one. And until we have that, that world peace, which world peace is just becoming one group. That world peace is only brought, brought to pass by understanding and loving and un- having that agape, unconditional love for my fellow beings. My man, my, like it says in 2 Nephi 26, 33, my, anyone who, who is, that they, we're all the same unto God. We're not different. Just because I grew up in a different place does not make me higher than you because I grew up in this faith. And that is the truth. It talks about it in our scriptures. Um, that is a precedented truth. And that's where I stand with this. I don't know where my path will be led. Um, I hope because I love, I love and cherish how I've been raised. I love and cherish my parents and how they've cared for me. I love and cherish the gospel of Christ that I've learned. But 
I do think that my path is a little different. I do need to learn more from my brothers and sisters. I do need to gather as one. I need to do all these things as well. And so I don't know what God has in store for me yet, but I'm try- I can promise you I'm trying my hardest to pray and know that for myself. It's uh, another really good segment, Jake. I love that you. T- most people that I meet with that are not sure exactly if they're going to stay in the church, and when I ask them that question, they do want to stay. They because of the reasons you've talked about, and but it's the but it's the difficult things that you talk about also that makes it difficult. And so I think you're honest in that, and I love the way you keep going back to the doctrine. Um, is the foundation point to guide your life. I love the way you've referenced a Nephi a couple times, Second Nephi. And, um, it, you know, I, I don't know if your parents or other people that love you, but this is, I mean, if, you know, if I were, I just think this is a payday moment for parents and people that love you to see where you are and your understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the man you are and the love you have for other people. Cause to me, you're living the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you were my YSA, if I were your YSA Bishop and you were opening up to me like this, I think I'd just say, Jake, I trust you. I don't think I'd give you much advice. I love, I I'd invite you to continue to receive personal revelation. I'd invite you to continue to read the scriptures, what you're doing, both of those you're doing. And I'd say, Jake, I just trust you. And how could I not trust you? Um, and I think that's what God would say to you, is I trust you. And I love you. And I love what you said. Uh, one of the tweets that made into my book that I saw a couple of years ago was, we as Latter-day Saints need to stop loving people because they're lovable being back to the church and love people because they deserve to be loved. And you taught that earlier. And I just think you're teaching the doctrine of love. And we are the same human family. If we really own our doctrine, then we see everybody the way you're talking about. And we're willing to learn from everybody. And other people don't look like a project or someone needs to be rescued. But they, and then that less, leads me to have, I have far less fear in my life now than I've ever had. I don't fear all these other groups of people. I, I have natural fear to groups that want to take away my liberties or want to, you know, harm me physically or rob me. They're still those kind of fears, but I don't have a lot of the fears that I used to have. And I think that's because I understand the doctrine of the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and loving heavenly parents that you're teaching. I, you know, when I opened up to my bishop about um, the policy, my stake president, about the policy statements when I was serving as a bishop, and I wrote about this in the book, he didn't give me a spiritual checklist to make me feel okay about that. He just allowed me to feel that way. He even talked about having a fall, a couple fallen dominoes. So in a minister, I call it a ministering home run. As I vulnerably opened up to him, just like you're doing on this podcast about things you're uncomfortable with, I hope that as family members and as priest leaders and friends, we don't give Jake Young or me a spiritual checklist of things we've got to do to make you feel good about blacks in the priesthood or about polygamy or about LGBTQ. And sort of put it back on you to get back in line, quote unquote, with how maybe most people feel about an issue. So to me, that visual of fallen dominoes was really helpful for me because I have some fallen dominoes like you do, but then they hit dominoes that have really deep roots, like you've talked about, that have kept me a believing member of the church. 
But if I had had a state president that had responded differently or a friend when I first opened up the first time about some of this stuff, I wonder where I'd be right now. So I just share that as a principle of ministering for any of you listening as, as good people open up in your lives or and maybe, you know, you can help other people as you're opening up to them to create space for you to feel this way. Um, we're kind of at the end. This has been a great podcast. Are there other things you'd like to share, Jake? I don't know. I think this has been great. I'm just grateful I've been able to be here. Grateful that uh, that you had the feeling to reach out to me to do I this. I did have this feeling to reach out so, to you, and I'm so glad. Yeah, I've I've been wanting to, I guess, just share how I feel. Um, because I just think that God's given me a voice. Um, and I think if I stay silent, I'd be not doing what he wants for me. So I'm grateful that I have this opportunity to come out and talk to like about these things, these issues that I, I do have or just feelings and anything else upon these things that we talked tonight. And, you know, I'm just grateful that I can do this. I'm, I'm just, I feel very blessed and very loved talk and you've done this a good job of this already but in this last little bit just close with talking to lgbtq people that are listening yeah um i just want to first and foremost i I love you guys uh i want you to know that i don't want you to know god loves you and i want you to know that once again there's nothing you can do in your life that will make god love you any less and just know that there's people I mean, I want you, if you are struggling, please reach out to me. Um, if you're seeing this, I, I keep my social media open. I keep it public. It's not hard to hide, but please shoot me a message. Um, I want to talk to you. I want to love you. I want to be there for you. I want to be that. I want to be an ally. I think being an ally is not just saying it, but doing. I think that's a big difference. Um, and I, I just, I just want you to feel God's love that I've had in my life. And I want, first of all, biggest thing of all, I want you to be happy. Please, please do what makes you happy. Do what truly makes you happy. Not, not pleasurely happy. It's hard. It's kind of hard to get those things mixed up, but it's easy to get those things mixed up. I mean, but do like, do what makes you happy. What truly makes you happy inside. If what you're doing makes you happy and you feel a spirit, there's nothing wrong. There is nothing wrong with what you're doing. That is true. And that's how we, that's how I've gauged my life. That's how our doctrines taught us to gauge our life is to pray upon how we've done, how we are doing things and ask God if it's what it's for us. And if he's resounding saying yes, and I feel, and you feel like it's what he wants for you, then it doesn't matter what anyone else says. It's because that's your, your personal connection to God is what's most important. That's the highest of all. That's, that's why we have in the heart of it. That is why we have religion. There's no other reason why. The reason why is so you have a personal um, testimony of God and Christ. And even, I mean, it doesn't have to be Christianity. I mean, honestly, like it's, it's just that belief in that higher power. Whatever it is, if you feel that conviction, you feel that love for him, for that God, um, then that's what's best for you. And I want you to, to try, just try to feel that. And no, you can feel that. It may be hard. Maybe very hard to feel that love from, from, from a source that's not yourself. But know that it can happen. And I think when, what's been most true in my life is when I've reached out, when I've been open, when I've been vulnerable, is when I've been able to 
open up enough to where God can get through my cracks and sh- shine his light through my, my, my dark place that I, I boarded up. I had it boarded up for years. I think it was until I let those doors open, it wasn't when God really could shine his light in my life. And I think it's impossible for that to happen if you don't are a little more vulnerable and know that people will not love you any less. I know it's hard. I know it's very hard. Um, I know it's, like I said, it's just, it is not easy. But there are people that love you. And please reach out to me. I would love that more than anything. I'd love to hang out with you guys if you have any, like, I would love to just hang out. If you want to hang out, I'd love it. It doesn't need to be formal. It doesn't need to be this God, gospel, blah, blah, conversation. It can be very friend-based because I love you guys. And I really do. I mean that to the bottom of my heart. Um, I've never... I have so much love and so much, I have, I just have so much, like, I just respect you guys so much. Like, I could not imagine. I could not imagine. Um, you're so tough. Um, you are, you are all leaders to be like this. God's, God has trusted you with this. This is not, this is not something that is just given lightly. Um, and I respect you for that 100%. And help me be the person that you, that you guys, I guess, help me learn and grow still. I'm not, by no means is it just like, it's life's over. I got to figure it out. No, it's a journey. This is a, this is a long journey. I told us to Bill Osler earlier, but I see my life as kind of a, you know, I served in Canada where it snowed a ton. It was cold. I, I see my life as, let's just say, a, a, there's a blanket of snow that just fell down. Um, and it's easy to walk in the path where everyone's been walking to know where it leads. I find myself walking in a path where there's no steps. Um, and I want to pave that path for other people. I want to be the one that can pave that. It's where there's an open space for us. Um, for anyone who's like me, I want there to be an us category um, here, hopefully in the church, that we can be who we are and still be a part of this beautiful, what I think is a beautiful thing at the heart of it. And I, I'm completely okay with being the trailblazer. It's um, God changed my life to be that way. And um, I just, I think that's important to know um, that in, if anyone wants to walk on the path with me, I'd, I'd love once again, even if you are, I mean, this is for any, anyone, just an invitation to reach out. Um, and I just, yeah, I love you all. I love, and once again, to my LGBTQ brothers and sisters, I love you and keep doing what you're doing and keep being happy and keep, doing what God wants you to do and keep inspiring others and keep blessing others' lives by being in it. Don't ever think you're a burden because you are not a burden. You are 100% not. You are an inspiration and God loves you. I think that's my thoughts upon that. Great closing segment. We'll put in the podcast description, Jake Young's social media. So if you scroll down, you can, we'll put links to, so if you can't find him, you can find him by just scrolling down and One last thought as Jake's talking about loving people. I think one of the byproducts of that or the direct results of that is people then love themselves better. And LGBTQ people, it's hard often for them to feel like they're worthy of love because of the message society has sent to them. So if allies and other people can come in their lives and love them the way Jake is, then I think it helps them to love themselves. And I think then it helps them to somehow think like Jake is teaching the worthy of God's love. And then I think they're more likely to make better choices in their lives when they're more connected with God. So I think, I don't think 
commandment keeping and love are sort of like these two ends of a spectrum. I think loving people can help them connect with God and love themselves better, which can lead to living more of the gospel principles um, in their lives um, the very best way they can because they feel God's love and they feel lovable. So there's a lot of parts of this podcast that help people, I think, connect with God and feel they're worthy of God's love. So thank you, Jake Young, um, for being on this episode. Great job. And at 21, uh, um, you know, I'm a lot older than you, <laughs> nearly 40 years older. I just recognize that I wish I could go back and be more like you at this age. And you have a unique life mission to help a lot of people. And the principles and the foundation you have right now will bless you know, so many people that come into your circle. And what you're sharing on this podcast gives others a vision for how to do what you're doing. You're not giving up anything to do what you're doing. You're just living the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this is Richard Oster signing off from with Jake Young. And thanks to Tom Gar Garbett, our podcast producer, who puts all these up. I forget to give him a shout out, but I re just remembered, Tom, thank you. And thank you for our listeners for listening. Thank you.